0: Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the
2: truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The Big
1: Silence. The Big
0: Silence. All right, and welcome back to the Big Silence podcast. So happy you're here and keep coming back each week. Unfortunately... My sidekick, Bobby Goldstein, my executive handyman, is out doing handyman things with Big Bob. That's his dad. If you see me talking about it on social media, there's Little Bob and then Big Bob. But you know, Big Bob is no longer Big Bob. We call him Skinny Bob now. Hey, Emily's sitting next to me. You know, Bob, Big Bob lost 120 pounds in the last few years. You're serious? Yeah. incredible. How? How? That's what everyone wants to know. I think he needs a program in the Turn it Up app. You know what? I should do a podcast with Big Bob because everyone <laughs> wants to know how Big Bob became Skinny Bob. He's After just retirement. Awesome. He's, just so cool. he's awesome. He's funny. He might need like a, uh, is it a Miller Lite? Is that what yeah. Big Bob yeah. likes? The Gags anyway. Yeah, he's from Long Island. The Bobs. I we should have both the Bobs on. That'd be right. But anyways, the Bobs are out doing Bob things. So I am here and wanted to, first of all, uh, mention October 10th is World Mental Health Awareness Day. So, the big silence is doing an event on that Sunday before, which is October 9th, in Fredericksburg, Texas. Now, it's a winery, and don't be shocked. If you live in Austin or around Texas, Texas wines, it's like the second, don't quote me on this, the second largest I don't know, winery, you always have what is that called? Like where wines grow, wines vineyard. wine vineyards, grapes, um next to Napa. And they're really good. And so Bobby and I went one weekend for the first time in Fredericksburg and we were at one winery and then the somebody there was like, "Oh, we're going across the street to something called Slate Theory Winery. They're like you should go there, it's amazing." So we were like, "Okay, we'll go across the street and We sit down in the tasting room, and then we start noticing the names of the wines, the manic, the schizophrenic, all these mental health terms. And then we were reading the bio, and then we went and asked someone, we're like, what is the correlation with mental health and the winery? So we ended up meeting the father and one of the sons and just chatting with them about mental health and why they started this winery and you know their their whole thing is you know fill your head with full sensory experience that manifests in the form of psychologically stimulating wine and it is so cool and one of the sons Cody he's an artist and we purchased some of his art his paintings incredible but anyways we became friends with this family you know bonding over mental health and stories and you know now that world mental health awareness day is approaching we decided to do, to do an event together at the winery, but not just the winery, in the cave where nobody gets access to. And so I want you to join us in Fredericksburg, Texas. If you're here close by, if you're not at Austin City Limits, forget Austin City Limits, that state, same weekend, come hang out with us. My friend James Kinney, um, who you know from the Big Sun's theme song, he'll be performing And my friend Amber Valdez is going to be doing a sound bath meditation. And the acoustics in the cave are incredible. And then I'll be speaking about mental health and all of that fun stuff. And yes, we will be sipping on some wine. So go to thebigsilence.com for all the details or on Instagram. I'll be talking about it a lot, but I really do hope you can join us there. All right. And today's guest is Koshin Paley Ellison. He has devoted his life to the study and application of psychotherapy and Buddhism. Uh, He's the author of Zen Teacher, and he is also the co founder, alongside his husband, of the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. He has a new book coming up called Untangled. It is coming out November 8th, 2022. And we talk about his book, we talk about death. Such a fun topic, but it's something that is an interesting perspective coming from. The monk's perspective on death. And obviously, his Zen center is for contemplative care. We also talk about generational trauma. Um, Koshin has some similar lineage as he has some Ukrainian in him as well, and meditation tips and more. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, like, comment, share to anyone who you think may want to hear. All right, see you on the flip. All right, welcome to the big silence, Koshin Paley Ellison. How are you today? Thank you
2: so much. I'm very feeling very tender and connected and happy to be here, be here with you.
0: Yeah, and you're funny. In the first few minutes that I met you, I was like, where are you at? You're like this small island of Manhattan. I'm like, oh, I thought you were in New York. (laughs) Duh. Um, But anyways, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. You're a, a monk, but like super cool, everything that you do and your knowledge. And we're talking about not only your new book, Untangled, coming out, but as I was going through your book and then everything you do, and I have so many questions that I hope we can get to it all, but I would love if you would start and kind of talk about your upbringing, which is so descriptive in your book. And that's why I feel like I love the storytelling and then connecting it to lessons. And so if you can share a little bit about your upbringing.
2: I could. (laughs) But you don't have to. (laughs) No. I'm I'm wondering if anything in particular that you're curious about. Or? Well,
0: how you got to where you are today, and actually, and I don't know. You would, we, before we started recording, you mentioned kind of a quote, a portion of a quote of your parents cut us so deeply that. And what was that quote again?
2: It's a, well, it's a paraphrase of that a wonderful mythologist named Michael Mead, who I've had the pleasure of you know learning from at a period of time. And he said, you know, our parents cut us so deeply that it sets out a direction for our life for healing. And in some ways, a question that we have, like an essential question that what is life about? And that's definitely true for me. You know, I think that coming from my background, where my essential question was always and continues to be, you know, how do we tend to the gap and nourish the gap between what we value and what we're actually doing between our actions. You know, I love, you know, I practice in a uh, Buddhist tradition and in there where we're, where we're most interested in this, doesn't matter what you say. It matters what really your actions are, your true belongings, like what you actually do. And so, Hmm. I grew up in a very traumatized family. Mm -hmm. And so they, as is very common for migrant families or families who had to flee for persecution or violence and war, slavery, all of these different things, you know, there's this epigenetic trauma of those events. And so my family.
0: Are you first generation here? In the U.S. or second? Third. Third,
2: okay. Yeah. And, but it really just keeps going. Mm -hmm. It keeps going strong. And so I grew up with stories of, you know, our family and their neighbors being, you know, rounded up into barns and set on fire by their neighbors. You know, so like it was not even Nazis, you know, it was neighbors before the Nazis came.
0: Where is your family from?
2: From Ukraine, Hungary, and Poland.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm Ukrainian, second generation. Uh, mm. And I understand that generational trauma and what my grandparents went through. They, my grandparents were actually pregnant with my dad when they made it to Ellis Island in New York. And mm. yeah, the story's there. I write about it in my book as well. But yeah,
2: I mm. get it. Yeah. So it's just very powerful. And, you know, also the sometimes we often talk about epigenetic trauma, which is very important. But I also feel that what I've come to realize more recently is the epigenetic courage mm-hmm. that I feel like in many ways and happy to explore it to things that I had experienced as a young person, that somehow I had the courage to keep going where I think that other people in my family didn't have that courage. And so I feel like that, where did that come from? But I feel like it also came from these family members who also realized we have to get out of here and everyone thought they were crazy mm-hmm. for leaving. Like, that's not going to happen here. Everything's going to be fine. And So there's that courage of listening and trusting ourselves. And so I also feel grateful for that so i grew up in this family of like beautiful you know they're actually really wonderful people Mm -hmm. you know they have beautiful values they've done great things in the world and yet terrible things would happen and so there was a big discrepancy you know and where you know there was you know domestic violence sexual violence, verbal violence, emotional violence that I grew up with that was so wrenching. And most of it, you know, I actually, because I was the youngest, you know, I got to observe and learn Mm -hmm. how to navigate things. But I, it was really not until, you know, when I was eight years old, actually I went to see my grandpa George and <laughs> he used to save National Geographic when they used to, I don't even know if the magazine still exists, but I think in does. ancient times, <laughs> <laughs> there was this actual magazine and they at that time, there was like lost native tribes, you know, in Los Indigenous. <laughs> and every once in a while, they had a spread of city and they had one of tokyo and i just remember i was eight years old and i was laying on my back and on my belly with my grandpa I was laying on the floor in their white shag carpet with the white bean bag and it was mm-hmm. like that time <laughs> the 70s mm-hmm. and uh, i remember flipping this page and just seeing this picture of this mom. And he had this, what's called an Arirogasa hat. It's like this big, wide, bowl-shaped hat where you can't see the person's eyes, where you see their mouth. They had this slight smile. He's wearing robes. And in the picture, everyone around him was blurred. Mm -hmm. And because they were just like running around in suits. And then the bottom of the, I still remember reading like, at the caption of the photo was, Zen Buddhist monk in Tokyo. And I thought, I want to be that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then how do you go from that, that I'm going to do it, to I'm here now, the <laughs> New York Zen Center? <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, how crazy is that? You know? Man, It happened. Yeah. But well, I think it was also like the... What I had experienced at that age was just like that there was so much kind of crazy rushing around.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. And that uh, it was just so difficult. And I really, I think I saw it in this person, this figure of also what's possible is that you could follow some kind of path and find some stillness in the midst of things. And be content. And it felt like the most radical, amazing image. It's kind of like seared in in the most beautiful way.
0: So I have a question. So, what is it life as a monk? Because when you say all the rushing around, because I feel like that's my life and most of our lives in here. (laughs) And what is it like your day to day?
2: like day to day. Well, we have a very full life. I was actually saying to someone yesterday, someone was asking me like, "Oh, are you busy these days?" <laughs> so the moment I say I'm busy these days, I want to do something else. Mm. Cuz for me, like busy feels like I'm doing things that I don't
1: mm.
2: I'm not connected to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it's just my feeling. And so, yeah, I have very full days and, you know, my days are really made out of, you know, I have a really beautiful morning every morning where I wake up very early and usually around five, six o'clock. And I have this whole, you know, we have Maine Coon cats, so I must feed the cats first. And <laughs>
0: I love Maine Coon <laughs> cats. Yeah. I have a mud cat. Still- He's
2: great. They're hilarious. <laughs> oh, and then I have a I do a whole series of workouts that you know I love taking care of my body and so I've been doing boxing and a little yoga and a little a lot of different things that I kind of mash together. And then I sit with our community. And so I, so by eight o'clock in the morning, I feel like I've had a very nourishing day. Mm-hmm. and i i live with my husband and every morning before i leave the house i always make sure i hold his face mm-hmm. and just let him know and i always tell him exactly how i feel about him and how much i love him
1: i love and
2: him. because many years ago i worked in emergency room mm-hmm. and maybe about 22 years ago i was working in emergency room and it was like one story after the next that all these people had come into the emergency room because they didn't expect what was happening happen. And the people who cared who like would come rushing in to attend to them almost always were like, I can't believe they left the house this morning without, I was like angry or I just dismissed them or I was too busy. And so ever since then, I, never want to assume that I'll see him again so I always want to make sure that that last moment is
0: mm. I love you yeah that's a really good thing and it's so simple because when if we are in this rushing around world and everyone's like out the door running late for everything and you are perhaps even angry at your partner or whoever's <laughs> in the house and you just are like, <laughs> like I am I have done that and so has my husband, but it's such a good thing and such a simple thing. Cause I, I actually do have those thoughts sometimes if I leave the house angry, I'm
2: like, What if something happens? It can't end that way. And sometimes it does.
0: Yeah. Is that yeah. working in you said the ER? Yeah. 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 Is that how like how did you create the Zen the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care?
2: <laughs> like it so was we created it because the true founder was my grandmother Oh, and, wow. and uh so i was her primary care partner for the last few years of her life and mm-hmm. so after her husband died we made a deal pinky promise that we would show up for each other and mm-hmm. so it was through being with her and her you know, going from doctor's visits to hospitalizations to eventually Mm -hmm. moving in with her to the hospice. Mm -hmm. And we slept together there. And what she saw is that many of our family members and even friends of hers, her coworkers, were just so afraid. And also what she saw is that many of the doctors and nurses she said, so many people are so well meaning, but they don't know how to, just to be there and mm. show up. Mm. And she's like, You and Chodo, and all these, like, she's like, I never thought I'd say this, but there's something to the Zens. Mm. <laughs> she said, You know, so you and Chodo should start, you know, some kind of nonprofit organization mm-hmm. where you bring those things together. Yeah.
0: I've experienced a lot of trauma through death with being with my mom. I guess we'll take the conversation in this direction right now. I was with my mom a year ago for three days in hospice, and she had this fear of death and end of life regret. And as a monk, you learn to accept death in order to live, right? Like, can you explain that a little? Like, how can you face death? Because there is such a fear of death and so many people give
2: us advice. It's so it's <laughs> so fascinating because the four things I know we can completely rely on are that we'll have some kind of illness, we'll age in some way, and we're going to die. And everything changes. Right? So in Buddhism, you know, the to realize those four things he's like my goodness like those are actually the things you can rely on and everyone is so scared all the time but we're scared about what actually are the four things you can are for sure
1: mm-hmm.
2: everything he's like it's, it's almost like this kind of it doesn't make any sense in a certain way it's like those are the things are for sure and what So how do you get into that relationship with those things? And I think that it's very striking that human culture for a long time has, you know, grown around protecting us from those things. Mm -hmm. So even now we like put sick people in the hospital where they used to be in your home. So you'd actually be around sick people. And then we put dying people in the hospice, put them like put them somewhere else, and we put old people in nursing homes. So, like we actually removing, and so we don't actually have context. So it doesn't actually become ordinary. Mm-hmm. And so, what we often do at our Zen center, we have this really amazing uh, training, a nine month training called Foundations of Contemplative Care, where we're Teaching people actually to you're talking about how do you deal with the fear of death. Well, it's learning how to be awake at the bedside Mm -hmm. so that you can actually start to meet people who are dying. And actually then you start to meet people who are sick and meet very elderly frail people. And then you start to realize, oh, they're people it's not this idea of like this thing that we have to kind of like, Oh, like, where is it? I don't want it to fall on me, you know? And some people have the feel like, Oh, you know, someone has cancer. So, you know, like stay away from them as if it's contagious. Well, it is, <laughs> <laughs> but not in that way. Just mm, like that. Yeah. So I think what's really important is, what I experience happening with our students is that they get really, they begin to get comfortable with what they were afraid of. So they're suddenly their fear has a name. I was thinking about one of my friends who actually did our training and he realized like, oh, now the fear I have is, but the person now is called Ronnie. You know, so like they actually have a name. Like I know, I know a dying person, and then I know another dying person. Yeah. And so that it becomes more ordinary.
0: Yeah.
2: And that, to me, like that's how to deal with the fear is actually to get closer to it, yeah. and that's how we become fearless.
0: Yeah. I love that. I mean, obviously, with as you get older and a lot of death happens around us, um, it's so important to just be comfortable with it because we deserve to live this life and where we are and not be in the fear. So I want to shift from death because I feel like I talk a lot about death on this podcast. But it is. I mean, it's the big silence. We talk about hard topics and things that people don't want to talk about. But there was something um, that you speak about that I think is really important right now that a lot of my peers and everyone are asking about, which is the loneliness pandemic. Um, what is that and how to overcome it?
2: Yeah, so we, right before the coronavirus pandemic, there was actually lots of reports in you know World Health Organization talking about how loneliness is actually more dangerous than smoking mm-hmm. and it has you know what are called early morbidity indicators that basically that you'll die younger if you're lonely. And I think one of the key things is about loneliness is that you can be in a marriage, you can be in a family and still feel lonely. And so it's about the depth of real relationship and the capacity, to have relationships where they feel like the people really know you and can show up for you. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: they have that combination of really being curious about who are you and how can I show up for you? And so I always think about, you know, one of our teachers for our contemplative medicine fellowship is this incredible woman named, Tirone Lowdog, and she's a physician, an herbalist, and kind of revolution and a human being. And she, as a primary care physician, writes a prescription, which I think is a really helpful thing for people to combat loneliness. So she asks people, you know tell me about who will show up for you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And what she's been discovering more and more as time goes on, that people say, oh, well, my brother, mm, mm-hmm. he's pretty busy. There goes back to the busy. Mm-hmm. And so what she writes on a prescription pad, which she keeps some still, and is, you know, find your five. So to me, one of the ways and to really work with this loneliness pandemic is one of them is to figure out how to build relationships. How do you cultivate a relationship where you care for someone and they care for you? And we live in a very interesting time now with, you know, since coronavirus to now we live in a world where we can connect virtually to pretty much anybody and we can join groups and i know here at the zen center which is not unusual is that we have members from around the world now and who are quite involved and really regularly participate and so we have the opportunity to really build relationships and there are not a lot of actual barriers but often the barriers are feeling or our fear around exposure, around trust. And so also sometimes finding the help that we need
1: mm-hmm.
2: around how do we learn how to maybe there were good, like for myself, like I know that there were great reasons in my past for not trusting and not feeling safe in groups of people. Mm-hmm. And so having some kind of practice, whether that's with therapy or some kind of meditation practice that helps you really check out, well, what's actually happening right now is that I'm having the fear or the concern or feeling distrustful. But how do I look around and say, oh, do I need to distrust this situation? Mm -hmm. Or is it just that distrust arises from me when I'm in a group? Mm -hmm. And is there something actually happening in the here and now?
0: Do you think with the loneliness pandemic, devices like technology and cell phones have a lot to contribute to that?
2: I think everything can be a tool or a weapon Mm -hmm. and somewhere between. Yeah, and I think the devices can bring people very close together, and can make people feel very disconnected. You know, social media, for example, can be very connecting and and a nightmare for some people. Yeah, and so it often is what we bring to it, Mm -hmm. and how are we working with it? What's our attitude about how we're working? I
0: want to. Bring out your book here, Untangled, because I was reading through it. I haven't finished it. I'm, like, on page 77, I think, but I'm going to finish it, and I'm so excited. So, this comes out on, is it October 8th? No, November 8th. Very exciting. This is your second book, yeah?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, let me see. I have four things I loved. I love talking about thoughts because, of course, with meditation, it helps you with your thoughts. Um And sitting in silence. So chapter five, you're not just your thoughts. And obviously you you quote the quote that nobody knows if it's from Buddha or Jimi Hendrix, (laughs) but watch your feelings as they become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your character. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about thoughts and how they affect us in our mental health and how we can direct Mm -hmm. them in the right, like what tools do we need? to direct them in
2: a a positive place? Totally. You know, I think that our brain, which is a five, around five pound organ in our head, gets a lot of Mm airtime. And we give it a lot of space for even identity. Mm -hmm. And so the brain's job, like the heart's job is to, you know, pump away and our lungs job is to, know open and closed so that we can get air and the brain's job is to interpret things
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the brain is not very creative and so it tends to kind of get into these grooves where we don't think new things and so our thoughts we tend to be looking at things And what we're seeing is what we usually see. And so there's this great story that I love very much where, you know, this, this young person comes to a Zen teacher in Japan, to a little town and they say, Oh, we're moving to this town. What's this town like? And the Zen teacher said, well, tell me about what it's like where you've been. And the person says, Oh, it's terrible. People are nasty. And, everyone's unpleasant and no one gets along or helps each other. And the teacher said, Oh, it's just like that here. And then the next person comes to see the Zen teacher and says, you know, Oh, what's this town? Like I'm going to move here. And he, you know, and he says, Oh, what was your other town? Like, and they're like, Oh, everyone was so wonderful. And, you know, everyone's really helping each other out and really showing up for each other. He's like, Oh, this town is just like that. Mm-hmm. So we often with our thoughts will be interpreting where we go in the same way. If we feel like in general, like our mood is that things are unpleasant or things don't work out for me. We're gonna be interpreting, walk into a new room and somehow interpreting through that lens.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? But the what's so incredible is that we can actually learn to notice that Mm -hmm. oh my goodness i'm doing that same old thing
0: how would you tell someone listening like how do you like recognize it and then shift it and turn around so that you're not are just your thoughts and you can change your thoughts and change your
2: reality yeah so One of my favorite things, practices, is like a practice slogan in a way. And so you have a thought, recognize the thought, like, for example, walking outside and it's raining and we all have some automatic response to some weather condition. Oh, terrible. It's raining. Or I'm so glad it's raining. And I like to ask myself the question, what else is true about rain? And then, well, it's probably good for the plants. Mm-hmm. And then say, what else is true? You know, and so just to begin to open it up, because very often with our thoughts, they make things. It's almost like what anxiety itself does to the pupils of our eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. When
2: we're very anxious and our thoughts are kind of closed down, it does sort of the same thing because very closed feeling and thoughts create our reality. So literally our pupils become smaller. And so less light actually comes in when we're so tight with our thoughts and with tight and it causes anxiety. And so learning how to kind of literally open your shoulders and say, what else is true is actually changes our biology too.
0: I love that as someone who, has a lot of anxiety in the most recent years. That is one of the things that I do to overcome it is think about like what is actually real right now. And in my head, I'm like, you're safe. You're safe. And like changing the shifting those thoughts so Mm -hmm. that, you know, your thoughts affect your body and in so many ways. And yeah. What's your best tip for meditation? Or what do you do? For, first of all, what do you do for meditation? And what would your tip be for someone who is afraid of meditation?
2: Well, what I do is I sit with uh, where, where, whatever's available. Sometimes it's a chair. Sometimes it's a cushion on the ground. Um, we call it Zafu. And, you know, to me, actually, the what I encourage, which is what I do too, is so right now I'm sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. and talking to you and what I like to do is I like, really feel my sit bones and so kind of rocking back and forth and really it's like all oh, right there's like actual bones happening there and feeling the ground so feeling grounded and you know bringing my hips a little bit forward tilting them forward so that my lower back has a little bit of an arch it's a pretty sweet spot And which also sticks our belly out a little bit. And so, and allowing my belly to be soft and shoulders open and just gazing down in front of me. So, for me, that this is actually the posture for Zazen or seated Zen meditation. And I feel like it's such a great model for how I want to live in the world, which is grounded, soft. Open and upright and present. Mm -hmm. And so, what I always encourage people to do is to find a practice that works enough for them because every practice is is a little funky. And count the things that you can count on. This is going to get hard and it's going to get challenging, and you'll be disappointed. And to keep on going you know, there was a study done about why people stop meditation because they uh, try it out for a little while and they didn't get better.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So it's it's not designed for you to get better. It's it's designed to actually, so that you have this incredible ground to return to no matter what is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, can I tell a quick story?
0: Oh, yes, of course. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Jack Cornfield tells this great story where <laughs> where he was in the Miami airport and this guy came running up to him. He's like, you're Jack Cornfield?" And he's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And he's like, yeah, I went on a, some meditation thing with you, like a night or something, 20 years ago. And he was like, oh, is that so? You know, and how was that? And he's like, it was awful. (laughs) He's like, I couldn't figure it out. It was too complicated. I was really bad at it. But he said, you know what was amazing is that last year when I was having open heart surgery, it was the only, I could hear your voice. Mm -hmm. And it was the only thing that made sense to me to actually come back to my breath, find my ground and be upright. And it's like, and ever since then, I've been meditating. So it's like,
0: <laughs> it's true. And so, meditation has taught me, and again, anyone listening, like, it there is no perfect way to meditate, it's just a practice, and you keep doing it. And it's changes uncomfortable, and it will be uncomfortable. And that sometimes it's really hard, and then sometimes it's like, wow, that was so easy, and I feel amazing. But there's been an, an oh. moments of like, severe, like driving to the ER myself because I had a, an allergic reaction. And I literally was just like, I use meditation. It's like, breathe in. Just learning breath can really carry you through a lot of stressful moments. And, um, you, you know, it's been something that can save you and get you through so much. It's just the Great breath. Time. Yeah. Mind and breath connection. But so is there anything else you want to share aside from, we're going to put all the links in the info, the show notes of how to find you and your amazing book that's coming out. Anything else you want to share?
2: Uh, well, I think the one thing I would like to share is that we only have so much time in this life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I know what it means to suffer. And to me, the beauty is finding community with others who you can suffer with and work with our suffering to change it. And so I feel like we have to start by really honoring that we struggle, we have tang- we feel tangled up, we feel overwhelmed, and we can do something about that.
0: I love that. And not necessarily being a victim, but taking that that victim mentality and what you've struggled through and turning it into a purpose and something beautiful.
2: And to be curious about what else is true.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Koshin, for being here. I appreciate it. Next time in New York, I'm going to come to your Zen Center.
2: <laughs> totally. totally.
0: I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Breathe in, breathe out.
0: Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence.
2: here's to radical self-love the type of love that will defeat anxiety the type of love that defeats depression this is the
0: one life this is the moment this is the time to dig in to be who
2: you already are the big silence breathe in, breathe out breathe and breathe out the big silence